Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today we continue with part two of a recording from the 2016 Tucson Festival of Books. Moderator Toby Wehner spoke with longtime Sesame Street actor and writer Sonia Manzano about her memoir, Becoming Maria, Love and Chaos in the South Bronx. Welcome everyone. Our special guest has arrived, so we can get started. Thank you for joining us. The presentations you see here are brought to you by Nuestras Raices, a Pima County Public Library uh, program that builds community by celebrating Latino arts, authors, and culture. The following presentations and all those in our tent are made possible by the generous support of the friends of the Pima County Public Library. Please be sure to visit the library bookmobile and our craft tent. Our next presentation is Becoming Maria from the South Bronx to Sesame Street. For 44 years, Sonia Manzano proved to children everywhere that hope and love can overcome fear and violence. Her memoir, Becoming Maria, is about one child's struggle and one woman's triumph. And now I'd like to introduce your moderator for this presentation, Toby Wiener. All right, thank you for joining us. I am so honored to be here with Sonia. Now, obviously you write a lot of different styles and for a lot of different audiences. Do you challenge yourself to do that or is it just what's coming out of you? No, that's a good question. Sesame Street said, you can write a lot. The challenge of Sesame Street is breaking down complex issues like love and marriage and anger into sound bites or, or words that, that a child could understand. It's not the profundity of the emotions that the child can't understand. They can get that. You have to choose the words, the simpler words, to get that across. So um, I, never, I never set out this is an age group that I'm targeting. Except if you're writing a YA, a uh, wonderful writer, Jacqueline Woodson, did say to me once, YA books don't have to be happy. There could be tragedy in young adult novels, but they do have to end up hopeful. Whereas a, an adult book, it could be like, life is terrible and then you die. The end. And we go, the end. I'll take five copies. <laughs> But a YA has to sort of, uh, uh, even if tragic events happen, you have to give some hope. There has to be light at the end of the tunnel. But other than that, that would be the only way that I, that, that I, I write to a genre or an age group. Well, it takes about to the last page to get to the light in the tunnel. I mean, seriously, I was, I'm like, I'm like the, the chaos does not stop. I know, that's what my sister says. It was just one big whirlwind. I can't remember. I mean, she's, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, wow, wow. Many children are in that situation. Many, many. <laughs> so, in reaching all, all different types of audiences, what kind of a message do you want to give? Do you want people to think of you or uh, take well, from you? I, I just... I think it's a big world, and the, you know, if you had like five lifetimes, you wouldn't have enough time to do everything that you might want to do. So if your immediate situation is, is trying, 
it's such a big world, just go someplace else or try something else or, uh, uh, you know, I was just in Peru and I was inspired by all of those, you know, those women that are knitting and, and uh, weaving clothes and trying to sell them out on the street so they could feed their children and, and that's such a foreign life to me that, that uh, all of a sudden my issues became like this big because those issues were so much bigger. So I think that, you know, uh, look somewhere else for answers instead of like, you know, digging, digging yourself into a hole, I would say. So, you know, you've all, you said you want to concentrate on writing, that's why you retired from Sesame Street. Will you still act though? Will, will you guest appear or I'll tell you, make a movie? Oh, sure. <laughs> you know how hard it is to make a movie? I mean, to get somebody. I realize that I, I love to perform and I love to, I consider myself a comic and I love to be funny, but I hate the auditioning process. Pick me, pick me, pick me. I can't stand it, and I never did. And you say that uh, in here. yeah, you say that in there. yeah, I do. I do say it in 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 this book. Though I love the actual performing, I hate the trying out for. I always take it personally. You know, they say don't take it personally. I always say like, what do you mean you don't want me? <laughs> and that's you know, if you're not right for the project, you're not right for the project. So. So if people call me and I can be Gloria Pepitone on Law and Order SVU, which I, you know, and I don't have to audition, I'm happy to go and do it. And I'm working on some other television projects that, you know, I'm in the driver's seat um, more so than just being a performer. So I'll certainly continue to, to do that. Right. Well, and also you were saying that you were annoyed when the producers would come and watch you guys like rehearsing and everything. It's like, you know, why can't they just come and watch us when we're on the stage in the moment and whatever, you know? Um, you mean the TV when they were on the, when I went from stage to television? Was it, was it the, wasn't it Godspell? Oh, is it and Godspell? We were in Godspell and we were so, you know, this is the hippy dippy days, the days of hair and everything. And, you know, you just got up on stage and did whatever you wanted to do. And, and, uh, and then uh, the, there's some real producers that put money into the show wanted to come and see how the rehearsal process was going. And, and we, not only me, but all of these young actors were like, why should they come and see the show? Why can't they just wait till we open, you know? <laughs> and then they'll see it in the theater. You know, we had no idea. Well, it was their money. That's why they wanted to see the show. <laughs> you know, so. Uh. <laughs> okay. I have to tell you the, back, the little bit about Miracle on 133rd Street which is my latest picture book, and it's also based on my little memoirette. Puerto Ricans have, have uh, pernil, or roast pork, for Christmas. And the tradition in the island is it's on a spit, and it cooks all day outside. And so, you know, of course, my, my father was always trying to recreate the Puerto Rican experience in the Bronx. He comes home with a suckling pig a Christmas Eve. And my mother's saying, she's incensed. What is she going to do with this? Because it doesn't fit in the oven. <laughs> so she, she prepares it. She's seething the whole time. And he takes it to, uh, the, the solution was to take it to a bakery. And the bakery, they have big ovens. They roasted, they roasted it, and then they brought it home, and we had a great, a great Christmas. But the idea of this roast 
that didn't fit in the oven stayed with me. So I wrote this story where they're in this neighborhood where everybody's grumpy and they're not in the Christmas spirit. And then when the father brings home the roast, the aroma of the garlic and the pernita and the olive oil makes everybody embrace the Christmas spirit. <laughs> so that's another way that I took, you know, a, a, a difficult memory, you know, of my parents arguing on Christmas Eve and made it into something that, you know, that was good or positive. So you said you were getting good feedback about being a, a Latino icon, or a role model. When was your first, you know, understanding that, wow, this, I'm actually doing this? Oh, that's a good question. I did not, somebody said to me, like, you're a role model. I said, I'm not a role model. Who, what, what made me the leader, the representative of Puerto Ricans? I'm just an actor. I, you know, I didn't want this, this, uh, this handle. And, um... I was first on Sesame Street, and, and, and people used to write me about, feminist group used to write me about what a great uh, female character I was, and I was thinking, no, 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 I'm just me. I'm not, you know, don't put that on me. I didn't know what that was. I was too young. I didn't understand that, um, that I had to be a role model and represent people. And then I'm on Sesame Street, and Matt Robinson, who played the original Gordon, he had mutton chops. He came up to me and he said, you know, you're not here just to be an actor. You have to make sure that all of the Latino content is appropriate. Well, I didn't know what to say. I have, you know, I was nervous about talking to Big Bird. I, I, I you know, I was, ner you know, Oscar the Grouch. I mean, it was like, but um, I noticed that the fruit cart on Sesame Street had bananas and uh, the usual apples, potatoes, the usual foodstuffs that you see on a fruit cart. And I went up to the producers and I went, if this was a real diverse neighborhood, there would be some coconuts and jautias and batatas and plantains on the, in this fruit cart. And they said, oh, okay, you're right. That's a good idea. We never thought of it. And they did it. So I, co I consider it my first political act as being a Roma. <laughs> I diversified the fruit cart. <laughs> you are listening to moderator Toby Wehner with longtime Sesame Street actor and writer Sonia Manzano discussing her memoir, Becoming Maria, Love and Chaos in the South Bronx, on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. So was it like the responsibility of that handle part of the resistance to it? Like, no, 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 not me. I suppose it's, it, it is a responsibility, but I wasn't about to change my life to like be something I wasn't. So I just... Um, I just continue to be as truthful to myself as possible and, uh, and, um, um, and carried on that way. They, they really wanted a, a Puerto Rican role model and, and so I, I, I was just saying before that I used to use a lot of Spanglish on the show. I used to say like to Big Bird, uh, let's go lonchar if you're not a Spanish speaker out there, that's just lunch with a Spanish accent. 
It's not a Spanish word. And, uh, you know, I would say, you know, don't go to El Rufo. The roof. Where's El Jacket? You know, there's no jacket, you know. And I thought these were, wor you know, I was born in, th these were real words. And then, you know, some other, you know, another, Raul Julia, the great Puerto Rican actor said, you know, that's not a real word. <laughs> And so, you know, I had to make a, tr I said, well, wait a minute, if I'm true to myself, do I use the Spanglish as a real, new, you know, New Yorican, Puerto Rican? It's not like I made up these words. This is where you get into cultural vagaries here. I didn't make them up. If I'm gonna be true, should I say these, insist that I'm saying these wrong uh, words? Well, no, I mean, you, you, you can't do that. It was a public television show an educational show, plus all the Mexican-American kids are going to say, what is she saying? <laughs> and you didn't want to exclude that, or South Americans, you know, who... Uh, so, you know, it was a balancing act to sort of be true to myself and uh, accommodate for other people's sensibilities in order to be a role model. Well, I, I really enjoyed the memoir, even all of its chaos and everything. Um, I was saying it, it leads up to your interview, your, your audition with Sesame Street, and that's it. Yeah. That's kind of a cliffhanger. What happened? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Tell us. So I, I can't wait to hear what's next. The rest is history, <laughs> as you all know. <laughs> so I, we do have some, some time. Maybe we can take some questions of the audience. Sure. I also wanted to, to tell you, as I was telling people that I was gonna interview, everyone was so excited for me, and so I got some great comments. And so, Megan wanted you to say, please say hi to Cookie Monster, and I like cookies too. Oh, that's great, that's great. And when I told my mom about it, she said, well, will you just ask her, was Elmo always up to mischief, no matter what, whether you were filming or not, was he just, Always. Actually, the character, yes, that character, <laughs> Elmo, was, is, was really on all the time. I mean, all the puppets are. They really are. Some, you know, they'll, the camera stops uh, uh, taping them, and they continue their personalities. And these puppeteers can continue the personality without the puppet on. <laughs> As my husband can attest, uh, uh, you know, he says... Uh, you know, we were on a movie set once, and, and Carol Spinney, who's an elderly man, took the top half of his suit off. He didn't know there was a kid there. And the kid said to me, Maria, does Big Bird know there's a man in him? <laughs> uh, they really do. And even more so, they, Carol Spinney can be without wearing the bird suit, with the camera, and the kid's talking to him, so Big Bird, and he's talking like, you know, in that funny voice like this. And the kid is carrying on a conversation with the puppets, and that's kind of their remarkable magic. Well, there's a picture in the new um, article in Hispanic Network, the winter um, issue, and there's this picture of you, and I don't know how long ago, so it's a black and white photo, but you're with a bunch of children, and the look on your face is that telly and it just you can just see you're acting you're there with those kids in whatever moment I know because <laughs> telly was a, is a worry ward 
You know, he worries about everything. So I was feeling... Uh, um, you're absorbed in that character right there. Yeah. yeah. They're very... And, and also, Sesame Street prided itself in, in the actors being good actors. They did not want us to be, Hi, boys and girls. Are you having a good time today? That kind of... Because kind of, you're really talking down to them. And the kids going like, Oh, God, why did You know... And uh, they really did not want us to talk down to them, that they were, you know, they were just smaller. They had a sense of humor. You know, a kid will say, You'll, I know this kid, he thought this was so hilarious. You'd say, what do you want for dessert? And he'd say, broccoli. <laughs> and I mean, that's a very young sense of humor, but it's a sense of humor, you know. <laughs> it's not Chris Rock. But it's a sense of humor. <laughs> okay, so maybe we'll see. Does anybody have a question for Sonia? All right. Do, I don't. Do you want to come up, or do you want to just shout it out? Okay. Was it hard to say goodbye to Maria? Uh, no, no. <laughs> First of all, I think I'll always be Maria. I could like. Um, solve the crisis in the Middle East and I'll still be Maria. You know, you know, people will say, oh, thanks for, thanks for contributing to world peace, but what about Big Bird, you know? <laughs> so I think that character lives in me. It's really Sonia on purpose as Maria. <laughs> yes? After oh. can I, I'll, I'll repeat it. After yeah. your experience seeing West Side or in West Side Story, what would, uh, what was it like to meet Rita Moreno? Well, first of all, I saw her on Electric Company, where she was so hilarious, and I thought she went from being this sexy Spitfire to this comedic, wonderful comedic actor. And I thought, you know, in in a different world, where opportunities were more open to Latin actors. She could have been a great comic, and not the ser even though she's a serious actress and a beautiful singer. And so I met her when uh, we were sort of all working on PBS, and it was you know thrilling. She is the greatest, uh, limitless talent, it seems to me. And uh, her her memoir is also very interesting, where she talks about how she was always like a wanted to be an actor, not me. She was uh, uh, like that. So, so uh, you know, I'm still gaga when I see her. Well, talk about Iconic. Who remembers the opening to Electric Company? Hey, you guys! No, when she played that director with the whip. <laughs> All right, yes. Oh no, no, that, uh, that was a, that's a moment, oh, you want to repeat yeah. the question? Did you ever hear back from the teacher who told you you were going to make something of yourself? How did you say it? Yeah, that... And she was just so furious, and I think that was the first thing you got the answer. Oh, well, in this book, I had this teacher who said to me, uh, I was about 15, and he said, of all the kids in this class, you're going to be one of the few who does not end up pregnant or on drugs. And I remember I was so furious that he would suggest that because I did not want to be separated from my girlfriends. And he was separating me from them. And, uh, but it shows you the teen mentality, that you want to be part of the group, 
so, so furiously. And, uh, well, you know, of course I got over it. Uh, I just got over it and was disappointed in my friend that I thought was going to come with me. We were going to get an apartment and, and not succumb. And she didn't make it. Uh, but um, I, I never heard from that teacher again. <laughs> yes. My favorite. What's your favorite? What's my favorite memory of Jim Henson? Uh, I was so nervous when I wrote the first Muppet bit. It was for uh, when Kermit played that newscaster guy, and um, I thought that they improvised a lot of the words, and they did not improvise a lot of the words. They actually stuck to the script pretty well. Jim was very a hard person to know. He was enigmatic. You didn't know what he was thinking. He was very, very kind. He could get the best out of uh, his performers. And he had a little subversive streak that would come out when he did Ernie. And he would do these little kind of little digs to, to, to Bert. Uh, but uh, he, I think he was a visionary. Kind of had a sense of what was going to happen in the future. And we really did miss his sensibility because nobody sees the world like Jim, uh, like Jim Henson. So if oh. you didn't think you were going to be an actress, how did that happen? I wanted to go to college. And I went to, um, I was uh, a, a great student in the Bronx, a student without even, all I had to do was show up. I could do my nails. So little was expected of me that I was an A student, no matter what. And then uh, I got into the, a teacher said, you have to go to the High School of Performing Arts, which is the fame school. And uh, I said, okay, whatever. And then I got into the school and I couldn't compete with these middle-class kids who had very good early childhood educations. They knew what a noun was. They had written essays. They knew how to debate. I thought it was a fight. <laughs> they knew how to ask the teacher a question and, you know, and have a discussion. I was, I was coming from a background where you were obedient. You never asked a question. You memorized stuff. You were a good girl. These girls were asking questions and giving, you know, and I, so my grades plummeted. And then it was time to go to college, and I said, oh, how am I going to go to college? I was at this at this performing arts school, the only way to go to college was to go to a college that you got in on an audition. Very much like African-American boys only go to school on sports scholarships and they have bad grades. So I got into college on an audition. I mean, of course I did love acting. I, I loved theater, I loved stories. But I wonder if I would have been a writer earlier if, if it had been presented to me. I, I didn't know that. I mean, writing... So anyway, uh, I did love acting, and that's how I, I got into Carnegie Mellon on a, on a scholarship for, for acting. Society was on my side. It was the 60s. It wasn't like today. They wanted help. People were compassionate <laughs> in those days. And so that's how I got into, uh, into school, but, but into acting. But writing was something that intellectuals did. Puerto Ricans did not become writers. I mean, you know, it, it didn't even occur to me. I never saw that. There was no pencils and paper in my house, no books. If you were reading, my mother would say, what are you doing? Do something, you know, useful. Wash the dishes, change a diaper, you know, do something. 
Uh, and I tell this crummy joke in this book where my father is on the phone and he has to write down a phone number. And he's searching around for the pencil, you know, because he's talking to his boss. He's completely intimidated by his boss, forgets everything he knew in English. And he has to write, and he can't find a pencil. So he digs around my mother's purse and he brings out her red Maybelline eyebrow pencil. <laughs> and he writes the phone number on the wall. On the kitchen. Well, I thought this was hilarious when I was a kid, but looking back, I think it's pretty pathetic. So I think I would have, maybe I would have been a writer earlier if I only had a pencil. <laughs> no, they, they wished they were had on a raised stage. Uh, uh, when uh, I was doing a scene with a puppet, they were like on the ground. So I had all these men groveling at my feet for like many, many years. And the, the first bit I did was with Grover. I was very nervous and I looked, I kept looking down at the puppeteer at his face. And finally he said as Grover, stop looking at that man down there because I... So, and then I got into looking looking at the puppet's face, but they're on the ground, they, their knees go bad very early in their careers, I have to say, a, a lot of them, and then um, and they, they, they're like this after so many years, because they're trying to get out of the way, but when the Muppet bits are, were shot, those were raised stages. If there's a big Muppet number, then the puppeteer stands and, and can do the work. It's back-breaking work. <laughs> Okay, we might have time for one more. Oh, my audition process for Sesame Street, I describe it in the book. Um, actually, in those days, one person could make a television decision as opposed to 50 people. Now it's, everything's a committee. But I met John Stone, who was a creator of the show, in his office. I was already in Godspell, so he thought I could sing. <laughs> And so they didn't ask me to sing. They didn't ask me to do a bit with a puppet, which usually they do now with 10 puppets and all these people. And he said, um, tell me a story like, as if I was four years old, a scary story, as if I was a four-year-old kid. And I told him the scary story, and, um, which I had, I had a lot of them. <laughs> and then uh, he also asked me to do a, a, a sorting song a, so, a sorting exercise where there was a circle with stripes and a square uh, with stripes. And I had to tell them what was the same about these two objects and what was different about these two objects. It was relational concepts. And it, it had uh, two right answers, uh, as I recall. They were the same because they were the same shape and they were also the same on another category. And so we had a laugh over that when I was able to tell him, hey, there's two right answers here. You're trying to trick me on this. And, uh, but it was very simple and, and casual. And this was a very long time ago. So, <laughs> as I said, when he could just say, okay, you got the job. Well, I did a panel earlier and I said, I was so worried, like, how am I gonna fill this hour? You know, it's, it's such a long time. And then as the hour went, I'm like, wait, the hour's almost up, we need another hour. And here we are at that point again. I can't believe we filled an hour. Thank so thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sonia Manzano.
That was moderator Toby Wehner with longtime Sesame Street actor and writer Sonia Manzana discussing her memoir, Becoming Maria, Love and Chaos in the South Bronx, recorded at the Nuestras Raices Tent at the 2016 Tucson Festival of Books. This has been part one of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shocker.